As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. This is coming to you live and direct from Dakar, Senegal. I am sat with my uncle for what is going to be an exciting conversation, inshallah. Uncle Bai, thank you so much. I want to speak about the history of Gambia, particularly its radical history. Through our conversations, I've come to learn that Gambia has a particular radical history. So before we talk about the details and specifics, what was Gambia like? in the run-up to independence under colonialism? Uh, that's a very interesting question because Gambia is the last uh, colony of the British in West Africa. Mm-hmm. Therefore, other countries were having independence mm-hmm. and also Francophone countries were having independence. So that motivated Gambians now to say, well, look here, we have to have independence. Mm-hmm. So in before by, 60, by uh, 1961, you know, it was a hot topic among politicians yeah. of the generation of the time. And you have some of them who are very nationalistic. And uh, when the British knew that they could not withstand the pressure, they decided to give Gambia self-government. Okay. And they said that independence will follow suit. But Gambia was not uh, happy uh, with that. I remember when the colonial secretary, I think Duncan Sands, I'm not quite sure, to verify, when he came from UK, mm-hmm to discuss about Gambia's independence. There was a big demonstration by the nationalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they met about about a kilometer from uh, uh, the governor's mansion, the state house now, mm-hmm. where uh, the colonial secretary was with the governor, to protest. And they were singing, we want bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Meaning, bread is self-government, butter is independence. Mm-hmm. That means we want both at the same time. We want bread and butter. They were singing that going until the um, governor gave order to the small military that was there to use, use tear gas and uh, disperse wow. the yeah uh, disperse the demonstrators. You know, I remember my dad was I was I was there. I was I was a kid because we we, we I don't know whether I just went there to watch the thing or or whenever there is crowd. Was my dad uneducated? He supports uh, a big political party yeah. called United Party, and the head of United Party was part of the demonstration. So my dad went, and I remember he was beaten and his arm was broken. Wow! I can remember vividly that uh, when they took him to the hospital and brought him to the house, uh, you know, at night. So th- that was happening uh, mm-hmm. in, in the in the early early sixties. So that took place in the early sixties. Mm-hmm. The Britain British finally acquiesced to the, the demands of Gambia and then emerged the first president. Yeah, but before the first president, now they were, they said that there must be elections. Uh, they had elections, and um, you had uh, the United Party, mm-hmm. uh, headed by uh, a, a barrister, Pierre Njai, very popular mm-hmm. party at the uh, capital yeah. uh, with the Wolof. And then you have the Democratic Party by... Uh, JC, reference JC Fai, mm-hmm. so very popular party 
with the uh, Christians, especially the Protestants. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, the Gambia Muslim Congress, also very popular with the Muslims. Mm -hmm. But it was divided because the United Party, Pernjai, uh, had uh, also a lot of Muslims and Christians there because Pernjai parents were Muslims. Yeah. And he uh, hailed from a region called Salum. Okay. And all the Wolofs who came from Salum, mm -hmm. who were very much... Uh, in, uh, in the capital Banjul as traders, successful businessmen, supported Penjai. One anecdote, my mother was a supporter of JC Fai before Penjai had his party mm -hmm. and my father. But when Penjai established the United Party, my mom told my dad, ah, my Salum Salum has established a party, I'm going. <laughs> so my father followed suit. <laughs> he became a militant. And uh, so what we did that, we had a premier. Yeah. We had an election. And uh, it was very tight. And governor, actually, they like they like Pernjai. He didn't win, mm -hmm. but they anointed him as the premier. Okay, uh, premier, and uh, that was leading to towards independence. Had another election in which the PPP Jawara. Yeah. So they had a very good strategy because when they when the French the franchise was only in the Kolegrita Banjul area, mm -hmm. Banjul Serakundabakau. Yeah. And all these parties, you know, focus there. So when Jawara and the PVP was established, they call it People's Protectorate Party. Mm -hmm. Because in the colony, colonialism was the colony and the protectorate. Okay. And they were telling the people outside of the capital, look here, you're not part of the governance structure. Now, it's an opportunity for us to take over because we are a majority. Now, mm -hmm. you, are, you, are, you are being going to be allowed for the first time to vote. Yeah. So this is your party. Mm. So it was not philosophy or anything. It was, oh, I'm from the provinces. I'll vote protected. I'll vote for Jawara. So yeah. that's how the tables were torn. Yes. And Jawara uh, won by two constituencies and the majority and became uh, president. And he worked hard to capture the eastern part of the country that voted for PSNI. That's what the fullest. Yeah. He managed to get, get their leader to cross over to him. And married to Maud Musanjai's daughter, Maud Musanjai was the wealthiest Gambian, mm -hmm. a fuller, and a lot of influence in the uh, eastern part of the country. Mm -hmm. So Jawara marrying uh, his daughter was a big political coup to have wow. all, all the eastern part of the country to support him. The rest is history. Ever since, Jawara will always win. So given the different ethnic groups that exist in the Gambia, what was each ethnic group designated as in the colonial administration? Well, very interesting. During colonial time, yeah, it all depends about education. The Akus, these are the, the descendants of the free slaves, yeah. were the ones who were educated during colonial times. Okay. Because you have very few schools, two high schools, Methodist Boys High School, mm -hmm. the name as Nimsi belonged to the Methodist Church, and St. Augustine's High School, mm -hmm. that's the belongs to the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And then you also you have Amitage, which was for men for the sons of the chiefs that okay. were in the provinces. So the uh, the Akus were educated, the first educated, educated uh, ethnic group. Mm -hmm. So they were the ones in the administration during colonial times. Mm -hmm. uh, head of departments, you know, you have uh, Dr. Jones, director of, of uh, health, medical and health. And you have uh, other directors uh, who during colonial times. Now, that's how it was structured. By that time, uh, the Wolofs were beginning to have children 
graduating from university, mm-hmm. like from 64, okay. 63, 64. Mm-hmm. So as you come, you enter the administration. Okay. So as they, they call them the ACUS, they were aging yeah. and retiring. Okay. And the Wolof were replacing them. Mm. So immediately after independence, up to the 70, up to, up to I would say, 81, yeah. the Wolofs were the administrators. Okay. They were the administrators. So the ACUS were no longer, they have retired. Mm-hmm. So the Wolofs took over. Mm-hmm. And it was beating every department. You go, you know, parastatals, the Wolof. But just like what happened when the Akos were there, yeah. by the 80s, the Mandingers have started having graduates coming home. Okay. Yeah, from the from the 70s and so forth. Like uh, uh, Bakri Dabo, who became uh, vice president there. So mm-hmm. they, they started coming home. And the administration was already choked with Wolof. And they were not happy. Mm-hmm. They were applying a lot of pressure to Jawara, mm-hmm. who is President Jawara, who is a Mandinga, say, look here, you know, here we are, we are graduates, but the administration is run by the Wolof, mm-hmm. etc. So as the press grew and press grew, and these are educated Mandingas, Jawara also was being to feel threatened because he was chosen to, to lead the party because he was educated. Mm-hmm. Now we have more educated uh, Mandingas who came, yeah. and they were forcing said that we need to be, you know, in top administration. Mm-hmm. It one coup happened, mm-hmm. although it was not successful. But the educated managers were telling Jawara, mm-hmm. "Look here, it's all your fault. Wow. You don't have us around you. Oh, wow. You have only the Wolofs." So immediately he was reinstated after the coup. He started bringing managers in. Bakar Dabo was ambassador in Senegal. He was brought in immediately mm-hmm. and made minister of uh, tourism, etc. And it started developing like that. Okay. Developing like that. Up to the time, uh, 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 Yami came. Okay. And uh, made the coup. When he made the coup, obviously, the managers were not happy. Yeah. Because they were the ones en- uh, enjoying. At the beginning, the Wolves were happy. Yeah. Because uh, Yami had employed all his cabinet. Most of them came from Banjul. Okay. Because although he belongs to the Jola but he didn't have enough educated. And uh, he knew that the Mandingas will not support him yeah. because he had moved them out of power. So he depended on the Wolof. On the Wolof for support. Yeah. So he had a lot of ministers mm-hmm. at the beginning who were Wolofs. Until he entrenched himself, he started also playing the ethnic game. Yes. Start bringing Jolas mm-hmm. all over, you know, promoting them in the military, in the security, putting them in strategic positions, yeah. etc. Mm-hmm. So you, you can see that we have from, from the Akus Creoles during colonial times and independence and India after independence, the Wolof. Yeah. And then uh, after that, uh, you have, uh, after Etuan, you have the Mandingas. And after that, uh, the Jola, mm-hmm. you know, took over. And that's a very interesting. That's uh, very interesting. Yeah. So speak to me about so Gambia gained independence in 1965. Yeah. Then at the same time, we witness across the continent various other leaders. So the Nkrumah, Sekoture, various other Pan-African leaders. Patrick Mumba would have been assassinated in 61. But you have various other leaders. What was, from your understanding, Jawara's politics? What was his politics? What was his vision? For Jawara, he was not playing the pan Africanism, okay, like you have Kuma, Sekutre, yeah. and Jawara 
was a conservative mm, uh, leader. Okay, thank you. He was a conservative <laughs> leader, and his concern was Gambia. Mm-hmm. And I would say his, his policy was peace and tranquility. Okay. He believes in peace and tranquility, and we had peace and peace with tranquility. What is happening in other countries and so forth. In fact, we used to accuse him as a, a blown Uncle Tom, a yeser okay. a guy to the to whatever the West says. Okay. Although by that time, you know, you have what you call the East Bloc, the West Bloc, and the non aligned Yeah. Gambia was a member of the non aligned movement. But in, in, in practice, mm-hmm. we believe that uh, he was, uh, he would link more to what the West the, wants. The West wants. Okay. So uh, that, that's how I... So let's think. talk about your involvement then. I guess you were not enamored or convinced by, by Jaura's politics. What was your own political journey or your own radicalization? What were you, whose rhetoric enamored you and caught your attention? Well, we were, I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I was in high school around independence, before independence and, and, and so forth. And we started reading books of what's happening outside and started admiring people like Kwame Krumah, you know, Lumumba, Sekutre, we listen to the radio every time to listen to him. So there was a, chunk of us who were in high school yeah. who started paying attention to what is happening outside of Gambia, what is happening in the world. Yeah. And we feel we were attracted by their philosophy. When Krumah says that, you know, political independence is no independence without economic service, we say, wow, yeah. that's right. Oh, neocolonialism. Mm-hmm. They have given you independence, but they, are, they come back and now control your economy. We say, wow. Mm-hmm. So we believe in that yeah. and started uh, forming a small movement using the philosophy of Kwame Nkrumah. Wow. You know, we read about Marcos Garvey, we read uh, Nyerere, mm-hmm. you know, about Lumumba. So I myself, I would say, I wouldn't say I, I would say we, because I was in an environment mm-hmm. of my age group that were being influenced by that. And at the same time, things were happening all over the world, like in America, the Black Power movement was coming out. And we were reading that, you know, like people like Stokely Michael, mm-hmm. you know, Hui Newton and all of that. Wow. So we were following the Black Panther movement very much until that when uh, Stokely Michael had to, was in danger, had to leave yeah. and came to Guinea and Krumah was a coup and he was living in Guinea. Yeah. We happened, me and other group, I suppose people, we happened to, in 1968, to go to Guinea and play sports. Mm-hmm. There we met Tukla Michael. Wow! And uh, it was uh, <laughs> what was uh, that like? No, it was like Michael. yeah. It was it was uh, like wow, yeah. We believe in what what he was after. Now he's here with Maria Makeba, mm-hmm. and we just interacted, and he knew, oh, wow, he uh, he doesn't he didn't have that that idea that Africans were so much into this political wall uh, fighting imperialism yeah. because. He doesn't speak French. He came to Guinea. Yes. And uh, Sekutre was the one talking about. Here he met Gambians who are talking about exactly what we were saying. So we said, well, you have to come to Gambia. Mm-hmm. So we invited him to Gambia. What year was this? He came. We met him in 68. I think it was about 69. I'm not oh, he came so. to Gambia? Yeah, he you, came. You to brought Gambia. him to Gambia? Yeah, we brought him to Gambia wow. with uh, Maria Makeba. And I remember we had a big uh, uh, sympo- meeting, yes. symposium at Crab Island School where yeah, no, he was he was the he was the speaker. Wow, you know, he was the. Peace you remember speaker. what he spoke about? Or yeah, some, he, or some of the things. Yeah, he's. I, I I remember some of. He inspired us, telling us, "Hey, you, you, we black people, 
they will never give us credit mm. for whatever you do. He will say, I am good, and I know I'm good. <laughs> he said, I wouldn't wait anybody to tell me that. <laughs> so we took that philosophy and said, hey, don't, don't wait for people to tell you you are good. Yeah. You, you know what, what, what you are doing, you are good enough. He talked about the same thing that we talked about, the, the, that the unity of Africa, we have to unite. Yes. Africa, if Africa unites, we can control our resources. Yes. But what is happening is imperialism and neocolonialism. It's nothing, everything is just going back to the West. And mm-hmm. the, the model we are taking for the West is a, is, a, is a bad model. It's not a good model. We should have you know, our own. But uh, we, I remember we uh, we took him to Jawara, mm-hmm. President Jawara. Wow. Yeah. And uh, in fact, Jawara gave him a car to go and visit in the provinces. I remember he went and had an accident with Jawara's car, oh, a state no. car. <laughs> so so Jawara was, was the type of person that he wouldn't make enemies. Everything, you know, yeah, just okay. He would listen and so forth. And uh, he wasn't uh, convinced. Uh, he was, no, he wasn't convinced. Jawara, Believe in what he believed in, mm-hmm. so but he will listen to you. Okay. Yeah. No. No matter what. And during the period also, do you remember that things were happening in France? Yes. Combined mm-hmm. most radical student. Yes. Mobilized the students on the student strike until the Gulf fell out of power. Yes. Because of the revolution. Yes. And what that was going on, that influenced University of Dakar here. Wow. The students also took over. Big. There was, a, there was a student called Blondel Joe. I know Blondel Joe. Yeah, Blondel Joe. Yeah. He was leading the students, very radical. Yes. Until his life was in danger. Yes. He ran away and he came to Gambia. We hit him. You hit Blondel oh, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we hit him. We, 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 we hit him in Gambia until for about a week or so, until his brother. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. In fact, his younger brother came to Gambia. Wow. Said that the Senegalese government, they know that you are in Gambia. Mm. And they're about to discuss with Jawara, and you'll be extradited. Wow. So he disappeared. Mm. So I don't know why he went towards Mali, but later on, he was caught and put in prison. Mm. And they and, killed him, and, isn't and, it? And uh, they found him home. Yeah. This, they say suicide. Yeah, they but, say suicide. But we know. But those things were happening. Yes. You know, uh, you know, around that time. And I remember Gambians were beginning to come for vacation from the U.S., there's mm-hmm. a Gambian who used to talk. We call him the. He came from the U.S. and uh, the, the radicalism and black pantheism was in the U.S. Yeah. And that person, one particular, his brother was a student at, at Sorbonne okay. with Cambodian. Mm-hmm. So he will come to a group and we discuss and the system. We are anti-system, anti-system, yeah. anti-system. So that's how uh, radicalism started, and we established what we call Ken Street Vu. Ken Street Vu. Ken Street Vu. Ken Street is where we live. That's yeah. our street. Okay. Yeah. I think we are going to have another topic just about Ken Street Vu sometime, but I'll just give Ken Street Vu. Most of us were teachers. Yeah. And during the summer, a long holiday, three months. Mm-hmm. So we'll just sit at the 31 Ken Street and discuss. What do we discuss? Politics. <laughs> At high level, every week or every day, every day, every day. These are stu- uh, teachers come in the morning, yeah, till lunch, go for lunch, come back in the afternoon, till dinner, go for dinner, come back in the evening, sometimes till morning. Wow! At thirty one kids, they will talk and we'll discuss just politics globally and uh, locally. Mm-hmm. And one 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 particular time, we said, "Wow, what we are saying, we are just talking among ourselves." Why can't we have a newspaper? Mm. And so that we'll be writing this and disseminate and make the people of uh, Gambia aware. Yes. So we started the Kent Street Journal. Wow. 
and uh, Uncle Seutal uh, was one of the most active in that mm -hmm. as the editor, and Uncle Saja mm -hmm. was the most radical among a very good writer. Wow. You know, uh, writing about what's wrong with the government. We, we are exposing corruption. This particular person is corrupt. Yes. You know, look at his lifestyle. You know, we, and we became very popular. Mm -hmm. And then you had other groups that came, like Black Brotherhood. Okay. They took a common copy of the Black Panther. Mm. Then you have another one, Tonya. Tonya in Maniku means the truth. They, these were all in the sixth form together. And they, they also had their paper. And that, that's, that's how, you know. The radicalism yeah, was built. Built and different groups, different groups, different groups. All. Were they all quite similar in terms of their anti-system orientation? Uh, yes, Tonya. Yeah, Tonya was more radical. Okay. Yeah, was more radical because they were all. There were not many. They were they were all radical. Wow. Street Vu was a bigger organization, mm -hmm. but you have certain percentage. I say twenty or thirty that were radical. Okay. But domineering. Okay. So they push it, but the rest were not interested. Okay. So so Kentu have different components because we, we were popular. We can uh, we have a social dimension. In those days, you'll have your anniversary every year. Yes. When we have anniversary, you know, all the women will come. Mm -hmm. So because of that, some people say, oh, I'm going to join Kensington Vu. They control all the women they join. Mm -hmm. But as far as the people is concerned, ah, they're not. So we used to have T-shirt rights, different names of, of um, Pan-Africanists. Wow. We give ourselves a pen name, Pan-African and so forth. So Kensington Vu had uh, elements who are radical, wow. whilst Tonya and Black Brotherhood. Black Brotherhood mainly were Gambians who were sent by Jahumba to Ghana okay. for education because Kruma was organizing the uh, young pioneers, mm -hmm. training young pioneers, that is uh, Africans from all over Africa. Mm -hmm. They go to Ghana. For us, we thought they were just going to school, but they are being channeled to be in Krumais okay. by Africanists. And so that when they go back, they will fight for the cause. So wow. Kuma had an alliance with a Gambian politician, I am Gaba Jahumpa, mm -hmm. head of the Gambian Muslim Congress. And he was able to mobilize over 100 Gambians and send them to Ghana. Wow. And they were in the Young Pioneer. And it was, they, 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 they would go to school, they lived there, but it was like a boot camp, military. They were doing like military training as well. Mm -hmm. But for about nine months, they come home. But there was a core who stayed until finished high school yeah. and went to university. Wow. That core, when they came back, they formed the Black Brotherhood. The Black Brotherhood, yeah. that was the core. That was the core. So they received their training where? In Ghana. In Ghana and yeah. came back. And, and, came, and came back to Gambia. And established and, the Black Brotherhood. Yeah, but some of them some of them actually decided to live in, in Ghana and oh. will come back. Lamin Jangha was living in Ghana. Solda was living in Ghana. Mm -hmm. They will come. The rest stayed in Ghana for a long time and they were more... Ghanaian than Gambian. So they wanted me to do about not less than ten. Okay. Less than ten. They didn't have a paper, but they would they would wear Blackberry. Okay, Blackberry. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they, yeah. It's interesting you've said you were aware of the Huey Newtons, the Black Panther movement, the Stokely Carmichael's of the world. Oftentimes when people think about black struggle or black liberation, they seem to think that these movements were separate and didn't know about each other so you're saying that you were very much aware of what's happening in america with malcolm x and all these people yeah we we were very much uh, aware because our level was thinking was beyond the boundaries of gambia mm -hmm. 
we were following uh, Malcolm X. Every step, every move, whatever he says, we had a culture of reading yeah. political books and uh, magazines and whatever. And we had the habit of listening to radio. There was no television. We listened to radio. And we'll exchange information. If I hear something, I say, hey, did you hear what happened uh, to Malcolm X? Do you know now that he's a Muslim now? Wow. So we discuss it. Or he went to Mecca, whatever he did. We, we look. So we were, I think, our reading. Yeah. And we like uh, radical papers and, and, and so forth. So wow. that gave us to be aware of what was happening, you know, all over. We're like, we, we'll follow the Vietnam War. We follow it to, to the letter and know everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. We follow American politics. I remember the Cuban crisis. We followed it to the letter, you know, when America said, no, uh, uh, Russia cannot uh, stockpile nuclear weapons in Cuba. And until the standstill that Kennedy said that this the this the red line you can cross there mm-hmm. until the, we thought it's going to be a war if you pass there. And we saw them turning and going. So we are following all of that. We are following Kennedy. Kennedy. When he got elected, we are following. So we were following all of these movements. Even in Africa, we are following uh, guerrilla warfare in Africa. What was happening in Cabral, Mo- Mozambique, Capral, Samara Michel, Thomas Sankara. Thomas Sankara was even a recent because by that time <laughs> I have graduated. Wow. I was already a director. Yeah. Uh, when Thomas Sankara took power, wow. I was in Burkina Faso. Oh. The day he took power, I was in Burkina Faso. Wow. I used to go there every month. And they were, uh, he took from uh, La Misana. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to the meeting with La Misana, the president was there who opened it. By the time they closed it, they have taken over. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and we, we, we liked uh, what, 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 what he stood for. I remember uh, a meeting in France in 1984. He was president. Yeah. He was the guest speaker. It was on, on desertification and Sahelian regions. And that's where Sils is. You know, it's all desertified. And uh, when he spoke, you know, you can feel your hair standing. Wow. You know, I remember that in Place uh, Lafayette. And um, he, all Africans were proud of him. Wow. You know, uh, when he spoke. So we are, so we, 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 so we supported people like him. Yes. Because we all were th- have the same thinking. Pan-Africanism. Yeah, Pan-Africanism and so forth. That's so interesting. I know we've spoken before, but you actually met Nkrumah, isn't it? No, Nkrumah is one of those that I, I when we went to Guinea. Yes. It's because of security. Okay. It, and we are a group there. They were allowed two or three to go and see him. Okay. But, um. The person I'm thinking of, uh, the, the guys of the uh, Black Panther, Black Brotherhood of Gambia, yeah. Lamin Jangha, mm-hmm. he was very close to Kwame Krumah. Wow. Soldau, Tokora, Musa Bitei. So the, these are the people who are, who are meeting him very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting. You said they call themselves the Black Brotherhood. People often say that those of us in Africa don't consider ourselves to be black. What do you think? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. I think. Africans, we, I think it's the other way around. We accuse others who don't consider them black. We, we for us, we say they're white and black and brown there. Mm-hmm. But Africans consider them black. Like when I went to America and so forth, by the time, that was nothing like African-American, mm-hmm. you know, black American. That's yeah. what we say, black American. This an African, this a black American and so forth. But we who were pan-Africanists when we went to America, yeah. We integrated easily with the African Americans. Wow! Easily, I remember. I remember. I don't know whether you are now in America. Where I don't know where they stand now. But during our time at the university, you go to the dining hall. Yeah. 
the white sit together, yeah. the black sit together, yeah. there, Asians sit together there. And the Africans, who are Pan-Africanists like me, I always sit with the blacks. Yeah. There was another Gambian whom I know, who we call Uncle Tom, who was sitting with the whites. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I know that guy, you know, <laughs> until now when I see him, I, I ask him, have you changed? Because <laughs> we, I, I went with the spirit of Pan-Africanism. So for me, African-American was my brother. Yes. And, thank you. You know, like, um, I would go to their only activities. Yeah. Like, remember at Dartmouth, there's a black, there's a dorm for black students only. Yeah. I was in that dorm though, but it's only so that they'll, they'll, they'll maintain their culture. But that's, that's where I will hang. That's where I will do everything because I felt I'm part of them. They also accepted me. Yeah, that's yeah. so important because, you yeah. know, nowadays, mm-hmm. maybe because of living in the West for so long, we always see online, especially my generation, unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's this division. Some people say, no, 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 we are continental Africans or we are Nigerian. We're not African-American. We don't share the same struggle as you. But I think to myself, when we go to North America, we're treated the same. Yeah. You're so you're saying even in your day, you felt... Yeah. a part of the people there. Yeah, I felt part of the people there. And uh, even, uh, like I said, it depends the type of orientation you had in Africa. All the people I know in my generation that were Pan-Africanists yeah. went and clicked. And they would stay in the black community. Wow. Like, you go to Boston, mm-hmm. they would stay in Matapan. Yeah. And uh, Harlem. Yeah. And others say, and we meet other Gambians say, oh, let's go to Harlem. Are you crazy? They wouldn't want to go there. They think that it's on gunslinging, it's too dangerous and so forth. Mm. But we, we are more comfortable wow. going there. My, a friend of mine uh, lives in Matapan, uh, Blue Hill Avenue, middle of the black community. Mm-hmm. And I fell at home. Wow. I had a friend from Senegal at university who never left the university. I said, you have to come. You have to come to this city. And so I invited him. He said he will come. I gave him the address. I left before him on a Friday. On Saturday, he came up to Blue Hill Avenue and he was just about 50 meters from where I was staying mm-hmm. at the petrol station. He was asking for the rest. He saw the guy having a gun. He ran away and went back to Dartmouth, 200, 100 and something kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> for me, that was normal. I was saying, I pass it, hey, bro, you know, hey, <laughs> brother, Mars, hey, hey, there's a bro from Africa, and so forth. <laughs> so we were part of it. But those who did not have that orientation, who are not politically conscious, yes. before they left, they went and they stay away okay. from African-Americans and so forth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's so interesting. And I think this information needs to be continually told to people that depending on your political orientation, mm-hmm. prior to leaving the continent will determine how you act in other places. Yes. And I think that's very important to say. So let's talk about contemporary age now. I know you've meet, met a lot of world leaders. Who were some of the ones that left the lasting impression on you? The world, world leaders that... Uh left lasting impression on me. I've met uh, several of them, mm-hmm. but I would say Nelson Mandela. Okay, Nelson Mandela. But Nelson Mandela, you know, what he went through. Yes. And he became president. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought he was going to revenge. Yeah. No, let's work together. Mm-hmm. And whenever you discuss with him, you talk about development, peace. He has a, a vision. Yes. The vision he had before he went to jail that continued, mm-hmm. and he will talk to you about his. Imp- and you are looking at this guy, say what, what all what he has gone through. Mm-hmm. He has forgotten everybody and forgiven them. 
let's work together and so forth. Then uh, Salif Johnson, a woman, first woman African president, used to uh, head an organization and we deal with water and sanitation mm-hmm. and uh, wanted her to, to champion sanitation in Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were writing the uh, SDGs, yeah. Development Goals, from the MDGs. And uh, she was among the three presidents that were given that task. Mm-hmm. And I used to meet her very often to lobby so that water will, will, be, will have a chapter in the SDGs yes. rather than being buried in a chapter of environment mm-hmm. like which was in the MDGs. So, so those two particularly, yeah, those two particularly uh, impressed me most. And thinking about, so finally then, thinking about Africa today, where do we go? What is to be done, especially in the continent today? Well, what is to be done? Yeah, no, no, no. Sometimes I could say, ah, Africa, I've given up. Mm-hmm. But recently I'm having more hope. I, sometimes I say I'm giving up because it's a type of leadership. Yes. I believe in leadership. Mm-hmm. Leadership who understands Africa, understands your people that you are leading, yeah. understands the world. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't understand the world, you cannot you cannot move because it's, it's a global village. Yeah. And uh, to give an example, somebody was saying, look here, Africa, Korea has invested so many billions in artificial intelligence. Africa, what are you doing? So you should understand that the world is moving. You are talking about artificial intelligence. You yeah. start preparing for that. I like the type of leadership in Africa who will sit a president of a small country or big country, whatever, and paying attention to what is happening globally and preparing us for that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much impressed with President Ruto of uh, Kenya, mm-hmm. newly elected. Yeah. I'm following him. And uh, I said, wow, I lived in Kenya. And during his election, I was not supporting him. I was supporting Raila Odinga, mm-hmm. a Pan-Africanist. But this guy, he's telling the West, look here. How come? He's, and he's telling his fellow African leaders, why do we have to go to Japan for Japan-Africa summit? 54 president, we go there to talk to one president. Mm-hmm. Why do you go to the U.S. to do the same? U.S.-Africa summit. Let's stop that. If they want to talk to us, let them come to Africa and meet us at the AU. So the one president will come and meet us all there. Yes. So the other day he said, why his Somalia is his neighbor? He said, why do if I want to buy something in Somalia, I have to pay in dollars? Mm. And Somalis come to Kenya, they have to pay in dollars. Exactly. Why can't I pay with our local currency? I have America I have nothing against you and your dollars, but when I deal with you, let's deal with the dollars. Mm-hmm. So this guy now he's speaking of things that resonate with contemporary Africa. Yes. Uh, thinking that we should, we should stop following what the West is telling us. Uh, this is the path to development and we follow that. We follow that path. We should have our own path mm-hmm. that face our realities. We have our own realities. Exactly. We have a socio-cultural aspect that we should follow it. Otherwise, Africa will never. We sit down, others define what is poverty for us. Others define how do we get out of that poverty range? Mm-hmm. And we follow suit. Mm-hmm. We should define that ourselves. I always say that we should, we should stop being a, being a passenger. We should be co-driver exactly. of the train. And the train is moving. Let's be co-driver and be defining things with the West. Partnership is okay. We all partner. We cannot do it alone. The West cannot do it alone. But let's partner and define our own destiny. Thank you so much. And I guess lastly then, Actually, no, let's say it for another time. (laughs) (laughs) 